Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Welcome to River Valley. Man, I'm so thankful that you are here. We are continuing our uh, sermon series on the four initiative as we're talking about uh, what we're going to be doing in the coming days. And we're just far enough along that I want to help you connect at this point, because here's what I'm guessing. So, you know, if you've been to the vision night or you were here last week, you've heard us talking about these things, you know, you're, you're, I'm in. Okay. I believe that we need to build again. I believe that I want to participate. You're praying about what God would give you. Therefore, you can kind of think to yourself, okay, like let's, let's do something else. You know, I'm, I'm in, we're good. So, so what I want to be really careful about doing in the next couple of weeks and, and today is make sure and include you in whatever God is doing in your life. In other words, I'm not just going to preach four weeks of going, hey, you need to give offerings so that we can build this building. I'm going to help you connect the dots of your life of what is happening along the way. Now, obviously the application is for our new building initiative, but the way that you apply is up to you. And I'm going to help walk you through that today so that as we look at Solomon taking this idea from his dad, David, who said, I want to build a temple. Now Solomon's got a vision. He's got plans for this temple and what it's going to be. So whatever it is that you're going to build in your life, I'm going to help you today. In fact, I'm kind of a motivational junkie. That's what my wife calls me. And so today is a motivational sermon. So the only way it's going to be motivating is if you help me a little. So so, uh, so at minimum, stay awake. Uh, secondly, if you can like, woo, that was good, or yay, or hallelujah, amen, a little clapping goes a long way to make it even better. So we good with that? All right, here we go. All right, so <laughs> a little delayed here, like, wait, wait, now. All right, there we go. All right, so here we go. First Kings chapter 5, Solomon was writing a letter to another king named Hiram, and he says this, First Kings chapter 5, verse 4, he says, The Lord my God has now given me rest on every side. There's no enemy or misfortune, so I plan to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, according to what the Lord promised my father David. I will put your son on the throne in your place, and he will build a temple for my name. So Solomon now has this vision. He's got the plans. He's, he's about to begin to gather some supplies up that we'll see in just a moment of making this vision a reality. And so I'm going to show you over the next bit what it looks like to see this vision come to fruition. But I need you to apply it to your life as well. So what is it in the next year, what is it even in the next decade that you want to see God do in your life? Maybe you want, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's raising children, a job, maybe it's uh, you want to get healthy in the next few years, whatever it is, I need you to have that picture in your mind because I'm going to help you in doing that. See, Solomon wants to build this temple, and he's going to build a temple that is so amazing, literally for centuries afterwards, people are going to travel to see it. It is going to be the culminating part of his legacy. Solomon has an amazing palace. He has horse stables that are so big, there's 40,000 horses in them, but no one ever talks about them. What they talk about is the temple that he built. So what is it that you want to build in the coming days? I'm going to help you create that in the next part of the sermon, but you have to know what it is. Because here's the reality. No one ever dreams on the front end and thinks, you know what, we'll just kind of get by with this thing. 
No one ever stands up at an altar and, you know, say, wait, wait, we, want to, we wrote our own vows. And you look at your future wife or your future husband-to-be and say, I hope that one day we have a marriage that is mediocre. Not great, you know, not, but not horrible. I mean, just where we get by. No one ever thinks that on their wedding day. No one ever has children and says, if we can just raise them up so they don't go to prison, we will be totally successful. No one says that. On the front end, you have great plans, great plans. How do you see those plans come about? Solomon did it. He built this temple that was magnificent. He really and truly saw it. So I want to show you today, I just titled the sermon, The Best. How you can truly have and be the best in your life. So, a couple of principles. First, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 6 says, uh, he's writing again a letter. And he says, therefore command that the cedars from Lebanon be cut down for me. My servants will be your servants. I'll pay your servants wages according to whatever you say. For you know that not a man among us knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. So let me unpack this for just as, or let me give you the, the principle and then I'll unpack it. Here's the principle. The only way to achieve uh, your best outcome is to give your best effort. If you want something to be great in your life, there's only one way to truly do it. To have your best, you've got to give your best. Now, I think we know that internally, but we need to be reminded of it from time to time in important areas of our life, because let's be honest, we can find ourselves coasting in our marriage. We can find ourselves, you got, you got two kids, you have a third kid. Man, the first kid, you, you uh, won't let them eat anything off the playground. The third kid picks up a cigarette butt and you're like, ah, oh, it's good roughage. I mean, we got to, we got to, right? We got we to gotta really and truly put our best effort forward if we're going to see our best outcome achieved. And so that's what Solomon is doing here. He says, first of all, we need wood for this temple. So what kind of wood are we going to get? We're going to get cedar. Now, I called a friend of mine who does, who does wood because I'd heard some things and I wanted to make sure I was, clear, I was saying this correctly. So the cedar that we have around here, most people think of as trash trees, right? Part of the reason is this time of year, many of you are dying because of cedar fever. Amen? I mean, you're just like, I hate those things. I, you know, they, they, they have a lot of allergies. They take up a lot of water. They don't grow big and tall. Uh, they're not good for much in our area. So, uh, and actually they're juniper trees in our area. But in Lebanon, they're different. These trees that are in Lebanon are the tallest trees in the region. They are used because their wood is extremely hard, so it won't rot over time. I grew up in West Texas, and before T-Post, everybody used to use cedar pickets in order to uh, make their fences because it doesn't rot. And also, the wood actually absorbs water. And so what happens is, is it acts as a dehumidifier. So in the place that you have cedar, it's very little mold, very little mildew. It stays for a long time. It's pretty wood. It's got that red look to it. But also it's very, uh, the scent of it's very aromatic. We used to have a house that had a cedar lined closet, you know, so I could put my fur coats and things like that in, right? And so, uh, but, but we did, and, and it was built in 1985. And it still smelled in 2011. It still had that cedar smell. It was so nice to walk into. Well, that smell also repels bugs and especially moths. And so this wood is the best wood that they can find. Not only that, the best cedar wood that you can find is Lebanon, which is north of Israel. So they don't get just the local wood. They go for the best wood from the best 
place. And then he says, nobody cuts, the, nobody cuts wood like the Sidonians. Evidently, back in that day, you could say, I'm a lumberjack, I'm a Sidonian. That meant something. And so here's what he's saying. I want the best wood from the best place cut by the best people. If you're going to build a temple, if you're going to build a life, if you're going to build a marriage, if you're going to raise great children, you've got to have great effort, your very best effort in whatever it is that God is calling you to do. And I'm calling us as a church to do that as well for our capital campaign, that we would give the very best that we have because what we offer to God, he is worthy of those things. So that's where Solomon starts. He starts with the best effort. Number two, 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 9, he says, my servants will bring the logs down from Lebanon. So this is Hiram responding in a letter. He says, I will make them into rafts to go by the see the place you indicate I will break them apart and you can take them away but you can meet my needs now look at what he's suddenly doing Solomon's already said he'll pray for the laborers he says but you've got to meet my needs by providing my household with food so he's saying you got to pay for this in a nice way verse 11 how does Solomon pay it says Solomon provided Hiram with 120,000 bushels of wheat uh, as food for his household 120,000 gallons of oil crushed olives, and Solomon did this year after year. So principle number two, the best costs. The best costs. It is not free, neither in the amount that we pay, nor in the time that it consumes. I think we often forget the time element in cost. So you might pay for something, but there's also a time element involved. And the Bible says that Solomon did this year after year. You might go out of a motivating sermon like this and I'm going to do it. I'm going to, man, I'm going to, you, you know, you get all fired up. But Solomon did it year after year, not day after day, week after week, month after month, but year after year. Long after the motivation has worn off, he made this effort and it cost him a lot of money and a lot of time. Uh, down at, uh, I live at the very bottom of Tahitian, and there's a lot of houses down there with really pretty gardens. There's a lot of houses with really pretty landscaping down there. And uh, there was a house a couple of years ago, and it went on the market. You know, you saw the sign in the yard, and I knew it would show well because it had great curb appeal. Man, if you want to have a house that sells quickly, you need great curb appeal. In fact, if you want to get married, you need great curb appeal. I mean, you, you know, like it really helps, right? Some of us had to do it by personality and get over our curb appeal. Uh, so, so. Man, but this house, I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, like the house, the, the lawn was always nice and, and mowed. It was green. The flower beds were, were done nice. The house, no paint was chipping. No wood was rotting. It looked nice. There was no boxes around. I mean, it was just, it, it created a great first impression. And so I assumed it would sell pretty quickly, and it has. Now, two years later, that same house Man, the yard half of the time is not mowed, so you'll often see these weeds coming up in it. The flower beds haven't been done since they've moved in. They're starting to grow up. Uh, the bushes haven't been trimmed. They've got so many boxes in their garage that they don't have enough room, so they've got boxes outside, like cardboard boxes. I mean, I realize it hasn't rained in forever, but uh, you, you can't like just store cardboard boxes outside. And the ultimate to me is I look just this week, and 
yes, their Christmas lights from last year are still up. So here's the rule. If you make it to Halloween with your Christmas lights, just go all the way, baby. Just, yeah, but, but when you put, you know, those Christmas lights up, they don't stay up. So they're like dragging. And I mean, it looks horrible. And the principle is this. Somebody bought that house because they were like, that's what I want. That looks great. That looks wonderful. Until they took over ownership. They had the exact same potential as the last couple. But they didn't take care of the lawn, and they didn't take care of the flower beds, and they've got junk everywhere, and their Christmas lights are still up. Sometimes we do that. Man, I would love that marriage. Boy, I would, I would love to raise children like that. I'd, I'd love for our finances, for us to not be upside down in everything. You look at somebody that's got something that you want, and the best costs. They have the exact same opportunity as the last people that own their house, but they are failing at home ownership. And the reason is, is because they're not willing to pay the price. Are you willing in what you wrote down to truly say, not only will I pay the price physically, whatever it costs, but I will pay it with time over a long period of time. I won't just invest in my marriage today. I won't just tell my kids I'm sorry for not spending time with them today. I will do it all the days of my life. That is what it costs to produce the best. Number three, I'm going to skip over and I'm going to tell you this part of the story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 7, two chapters over from this. In 1999, I heard this illustration. I have a weird mind. I remember stories almost like, I'm, uh, like I can remember them. I don't have a photographic memory, but I can remember stories. If you tell me a cool story, I'll remember it forever. And in 1999, I heard a sermon with this illustration. I was like, I'm going to use that someday. And today is the day, baby. 24 years later. So I have built up this illustration. You're like, it better be good. All right, so here we go. So let me show you what Solomon's temple eventually looked like. Uh, I, in, the early, uh, in the early service, I said this is a picture. A thousand years before Jesus, they did not have cameras. So this is not a picture. This is an artist rendering of what the temple would eventually look like. I want you to look at the steps up to the main doorway and the pillars on each side. If you'll see on the steps, there's three men up there for, for size comparison there. Now, the pillars on each side are set upon pedestals that are about five feet tall. The pillars themselves are 27 feet tall. They're covered with uh, brushed bronze. So a metal worker would, would uh, brush this down and make it very nice. On the top of these pillars, uh, there are 200 pomegranates. The pomegranates uh, signi signify prosperity and fruitfulness in the Bible. So he would have had to uh, make, this metal worker would have had to make these pomegranates around the top. And then on top of that, on the capital is what it's called, there are six foot tall lilies. So these lilies are, are made out of uh, bronze as well. So the, the worker would have had to do that. Now, if you think about a, a lily that you look at, it's beautiful when you look at it from the top down. The reason is, is that's where you see the color. That's where you see uh, the middle parts, the pistil and the stigma and all those things that you learned in biology. I had to relook them up. I slept a lot. Uh, so, but, so you look down upon that. Now, you got a five-foot-tall pedestal, a 27-foot tall uh, pillar, and then a six-foot-tall replica of a lily at top. And all of the ornate work that is done can only be seen from above. Well, who's going to see that? Nobody. Nobody's going to see the top of that thing, except for God. Here's the principle. 
Only you and God know if it's your best. Only you and God know if it's your best. If you gave your best, you know it. And guess who was the, had the lily work? It's called the lily work. God did. That worker was able to show for the rest of his life his children and say, let me tell you what's up there. You'll never see it, but God does. Because he looks down from heaven at this ornate metal worker's work and he says, you've done your best. They could have done nothing and no one would have ever known, but them and God. And God saw that they gave their very best to him. You and God know if you're doing your best. We're not talking about success today. Sometimes people are successful and they kind of almost trip up into it. You know people like that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about giving your best to what God has called you to. If he's called you to a marriage, he's called you to invest the very best that you can. To sacrificially live for your spouse. If he has called you to raise up children, it is not to just get them out of the house so that you can be empty nesters. It is to raise up godly men and women who will serve the Lord Jesus Christ all of their lives. You are called. If you are called by God, you are called to give your best. And only you and God know if you did it. He sees the lily work of your life. He sees how you act when no one is around. He sees your thoughts. He sees your deeds. And many times, and especially in this day, we live for the applause of other people. We make sure and put it on Instagram. We make sure and check our likes as many times as possible. But there's so much about our life that is just like the lily work that only God sees. And that's enough. You know, and he knows. Number four, verse 13 through 16 then Solomon uh, drafted forced laborers from all of Israel, and the forced laborers numbered 30,000 men. So he sent them uh, 10,000 to Lebanon each month in shifts. One month they were in Lebanon, two months they were at home, and then Adniram was in charge of the forced labor. So Solomon had 70,000 porters and 80,000 stonecutters in the mountains, not, include, not including his 3,500 deputies in charge of the work. They supervised the people doing their work. Now, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a second to unpack this so that you understand this correctly. Because this fights, this principle that I'm about to give you, fights against our modern thinking. You never interpret the Bible well when you start with now and go backwards. You start with the Bible and move it forward because there's sometimes the way that we think and the way that we operate, sometimes in our culture, this is not right. And you've got to start with the Bible. And so the, uh, uh, Solomon is known for his wisdom. God asked him, you can have anything you want. He asked for wisdom to rule his people. So then he forces labor into, uh, he forces all of these people into labor. In other words, he doesn't say, hey, I'd like some volunteers. He says, you and you and you and you and you, you're going. And all of these labors. And even if you weren't forced into labor, this is an agricultural economy. So those men that left to do this work, someone's got to take up their work for their families. So in essence, all of Israel is now participating in the building of the temple. He forces that upon them. Now, this is important because it fights against a, a way of thinking that we have today. Because here's the reality. Solomon is also not just the wisest, but he's the wealthiest man of his day. Solomon is incredibly wealthy. Solomon has so much gold that they don't even count away the silver anymore in his time. 
And so I am sure more than once when someone had to go and travel to Lebanon, they're like, why am I having to do this? He can pay for everything. I guarantee you that was said. I guarantee you there were people like, why am I being forced to participate in building the temple when the world's richest men could do it all? Solomon understood a principle, and that is that he was inviting them to participate in the work of God. He was inviting them to participate. Solomon would not let all of it be done with himself so that men and women, families could go, you know what? We participated. We helped build this thing. And what God is doing in it right now, we did some of that work. We paid some of that price. He is letting them participate in this. Let me give you an illustration, and then I'll unpack it at the very end. Here's the illustration. In the early days of World War II, June 1940, before America was involved, the French First uh, Army, all of the English Army, and most of the Belgian Army had been fighting in Europe, but the Nazis were winning tremendously. They pushed 338,000 mostly English, some French and Belgian troops onto the beaches of France at Dunkirk. These men were stranded. They were surrounded by the Nazis. The Nazis actually didn't go and attack right away. They could have, but the the man of the Luftwaffe said, let us take over. So they begin bombing runs and strafing runs, and these men are trapped on the beach. They can't go out because the uh, English Channel is right there, 22 miles across uh, to, to freedom. And so they're trapped there. They can't fight against, they can't, I mean, the Royal Air Force does a pretty good job of keeping the, the German Air Force away, but they're sitting there day after day. And so Winston Churchill, the prime minister of England, gets up and he does several things. He says, first of all, he says, we are going to have a national day of prayer. He says, pray for our men. 338,000 soldiers are trapped and the war is this close to being over. And he says, second of all, we are going to send the Navy, Her Majesty's Navy. But in all of the Navy, there were only 47 destroyers. Now, destroyers can pick up a lot of men. They're big ships. They can pick up hundreds of men. But it was not near enough. 47 destroyers was not near enough to pick up the 338,000. So Winston Churchill said, if you have a boat in England, I need you. In fact, he said, we're going to use your boat and I need you to pilot it across the English Channel and pick up your brothers who need rescue. Now, in our giving, in our way of thinking of giving, here's the point, and then I'm going to show you what it looks like. We can oftentimes look at the wealthy that are around us and think, well, they are the ones who should um, give all of it. God has blessed them tremendously, and they should give a battleship size for sure. But when you miss out on the fact that God has blessed you as well, you miss out on the 800 who were able to come and to save the 338,000 after the last battleships are left. So I'm going to show you a clip from the movie Dunkirk, and I want you to feel the tension as the last battleship leaves, as the last wealthy gift, if we can, is given, and then what you and I can do with our small amount. I love that. It fires me up. I mean, I'm telling you, it absolutely fires me up. Let me tell you why. Because some of you have been given great resources and you can give a battleship and man, we need you. But there are some of you and you're sitting there and I've heard already some people say, I, I, I cannot give that much. I just can't give that much. Think about these, these men. 20 years from now, 
they're sitting in the pub somewhere in London and they're telling their war stories. And they're telling about being rescued at Dunkirk. And they're not talking about the battleships that came because they didn't get on one of the 47. They got on one of the 800 little pleasure boats. And they don't say that Her Majesty's uh, ship saved me. They say Bob Smith brought his little weekend yacht. And there were five of us that got on it. And he saved us. And in the same way, one of these days when we build our next building and God begins to use it and people get saved... When you go to heaven, there's going to be someone there's going to say, you know what? That building costs hundreds of dollars a square foot. Now, hear me. Hundred, like, I get it. Building is expensive. Why'd y'all choose now? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that we built this building for much cheaper than we're going to be able to build the next building. But here's the reality. Here's a square foot. Somebody's going to stand in the spot that you paid for. That's your hundreds of dollars. Somebody's going to stand right there, and they are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are going to hear that Jesus Christ loved them so much that he stepped off of a throne and into the earth. That he lived a perfect and sinless life. That he died a sacrificial death on the cross. That he was buried in a tomb, and he showed his power and authority, and that he was raised from the dead. And they will say, I was saved at River Valley in the square foot that you paid for. Here's the principle. Your best matters. Your best matters to God. We need 100% participation because who you are and how God has wired you and what he has given you matters in eternity. And if you will be faithful and I will be faithful and those around us will be faithful, then we'll have 47 battleships and 800 small pleasure boats and we will see God do a wonderful, amazing thing. What are you trying to build for eternity? We... I love, one of the things I love about war illustrations at River Valley is I think it's the closest that we can get to what we do here. See, in war, it's, it's life or death. It's people die without victory. And that's the closest that we can talk about here because what we do here matters even more. Because we don't do life and death on earth. We do life and death in eternity. And it's not just whether you will die here on earth. It's where you will spend an eternity. And your best matters. Let's pray. Invite you right where you are at this moment just to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to have two things in your mind. I'm going to lead you in prayers along what we prayed today. The first is what we are doing as a church. We're starting our new uh, building initiative. We're on the front end of building momentum of making sure that you understand what we're asking for. And one of the things that we've asked for is that you would ask God. The four actions is one of them is ask God that you would participate and that he would show you how to give a big gift. In other words, your best. The second thing I want you to have in your mind is what we talked about the very first. What is it in your life that you are trying to build? Your marriage, your children, your business, your relationship with Jesus. So we talked about first that the only way to have the best outcome is for you to give the best effort. 
you to give the best effort. Ask God again, God, help me to give my very best to what River Valley is doing in the four initiative. Ask him to help you to give your best effort to what he's calling you to in your life. It's what you say is important. But that cost isn't just on the front end. It's year after year. Some of you have made some kind of commitments like this before and you, you kind of flame out <laughs> as opposed to being faithful day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. Thank God for the, the privilege of participating with him in this, in our church and in your life. God, thank you. It's such a rich privilege. Your best matters. Thank God for that. And finally, thank God that he set the tone. God gave his best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God provided salvation for you and I through the best offering. His only son, Jesus Christ. Today, if you've not applied that offering to your life and salvation, Jesus died or lived a perfect life. He died a perfect sinless death. He was buried in the tomb and on the third day on Easter, he came alive. Apply that to your life today, believing in that story. The Bible says that if you will confess that Jesus is Lord, to ask Christ to be the Lord of your life, in control of your life, that you'll be saved. Jesus provided salvation by giving his very best. Today, let that apply to your life if you've never done that. And then, thank God, thank you, Jesus, for that salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in the four initiative. God, help us to give our very best for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.